Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women, women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Okay, Luke 14 and uh, be verse 1 and 7 through 14. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He, also, he said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, <clears throat> sorry, Invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid. At the resurrection of the righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> We're all kind of old. Um, that I was not expecting to be here today. And um, it, re- it has served to remind me, um, this is not part of the sermon, this is all, <laughs> this is the unscripted part, but um, that I am so grateful for this long lineage of God at work in my life, in the life of those around me. And I think about 
um, my friend Kelly, who's here, who um, several years ago, we were all at the same uh, church together, and um, she kept asking if we could chat about, um, about how we could make a church more inclusive, and how could we um, really listen to God. And I was scared by, that, by those conversations, right? Because as, as somebody who was ministering in the covenant, it was not safe to be open and affirming of all people. And Kelly kept asking and kept saying, but let's talk about this. You know this is what God wants, right? And so through like her um, beautiful conversations and the boldness that she and others have shared is kind of a huge reason why I'm here, right? And I think about a few years ago how I sat in the fifth floor offices with my friend Steve, who was here, um, and had an initial meeting with him talking about this ministry director role and kind of his vision for Genesis. And I think about how even in that small meeting, I could not have imagined that we would all be in this space and that I would be up here wearing this stole, um, but that those are good and faithful pieces of the story and how grateful I am for all of you who along the way have been part of that, um, that journey together, which then makes me super excited for what is next? What is next in this good work that we have chosen to do together? All right, real sermoning, real sermoning, okay. So I love etiquette books. In fact, I have a small collection of them at home. Um, I've gotten them as gifts. I think people kind of know that's my jam a little bit, love etiquette books. Um, even at a young age, I loved poring over um, that old typewriter font of Emily Post books, learning what to do if you had to cancel an engagement or how to properly invite people to a party. And perhaps it's the Enneagram One in me, but I love, yes, I got, I got my girls in the back, yep. <laughs> I love the structure of etiquette. It made me feel like I could attain some social perfection um, or at least some social competence if I knew where to put the correct fork and how to write a well-constructed thank you note. I will also thank my mom for that. My mom worked hard at getting my sister and I to be good thank you note writers. I have thrown off that learning as an adult, but she did, <laughs> she did raise me right. So, Our portion of scripture today has a little bit of etiquette to it. Jesus gets invited to a dinner party. So you guys, two of my favorite things, dinner parties and etiquette. The last time I preached, he was having dinner with Mary and Martha. And not surprisingly, these are common themes in Luke's gospel, meal sharing, table fellowship. And as we're seeing here in our text, a juxtaposition of cultural norms versus kingdom behavior. So here's a super low stakes all play for all of us. Here at Genesis, we use an all play as a way to hear the voice of um, our, our collective voices instead of only one solo voice, the preacher. So this is super low stakes. But if you could host a dinner party for five people, living or dead, who would you choose? Even if there's just one name or two names for our conversation today, who would you invite to your dinner party? You can just shout it out, raise your hand. You could sit in silence and then we'll feel awkward. That's cool too. <laughs> no, I will keep talking until there's talking. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson. And Bob Ross. And Bob Ross. <laughs> oh, Allie, I love that merging of your artistic <laughs> and your... 
Mr. Rogers, yeah. Amelia Earhart. Love it. Mary Annie. Sorry, what? Mary Annie. Fossil Lady, okay. <laughs> this is like all of Allie's special things, just it would be the longest dinner party ever, because Allie would be like, I let's talk about this. We gotta talk about this. Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Your grandparents. Hmm. Your mom. Your mom. I said mom. Your mom. Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. I asked Josh this question yesterday, and it took him a while because he had a lot of qualifiers. He was like, "What would it mean for these people to be together? Would that be a weird environment? Would it be?" <laughs> So I don't know if he ever narrowed down his choices, but um, I had said um, my dad, because I miss him, um, Kurt Vonnegut, because my dad and I both love his books, and um, I said Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> and I know nobody else said Jesus, so <laughs> no gold, no, no jewels in your crown, you guys, no, no jewels at all for you. Um, and honestly, I mean, Jesus' track record with meals, I kind of get it. Maybe you don't want to invite him because it kind of sometimes makes things uncomfortable. Especially in the book of Luke, he goes to this banquet at Levi's house and the people get mad that he's eating with tax collectors, right? In chapter five, he goes to Simon the Pharisee's house and a sinful woman comes to anoint the feet. More drama. He throws a giant dinner party and feeds a crowd of 5,000 himself with five loaves and two fishes. In chapter 10, he's with Mary and Martha, and Martha pulls Jesus into her spat with her sister in front of everybody. Chapter 11, Jesus is eating at the home of another Pharisee, but then they complain that Jesus didn't wash up before the meal, which I kinda, that's kind of gross. But, um, and the Last Supper in Luke 22, he invites everybody to share in the Eucharist table, but then he also tells them, somebody's going to betray me. And he breaks bread with the disciples and eats fish with them after his resurrection. And so he's throwing a little dinner party just to prove he's not a ghost. Jesus and dinner parties. There are curious things happening in our text today. Jesus is invited by a religious leader in the community to a meal, and they're watching every move in verse 1. And it turns out he's also observing what they're doing as well, verse 7. I feel like everybody's kind of doing some side eyes at this meal. Like, I'm watching you. I've got my eyes on you. To be invited into somebody's home for a meal was a sign of respect, right? And sharing a meal on the Sabbath, as this text says, well, the Sabbath meal was usually reserved for family and friends who are like family. I don't really have a theological or linguistic response to those curious wonderings, but they elicit questions for me, right? And that's one of the reasons that I love serving in this Genesis community where we practice Midrash or the Jewish way of engaging with scripture that asks questions about biblical texts, both within the written words, but also in between the words and beyond, all in a spirit of discovery, as our friends at 40 Orchards would say. This is not a space here together where we have to have all the answers, but instead we're inviting questions 
We're inviting curiosity. We're inviting different perspectives on what we're reading as a means to learn and grow more together. And you know, I love to imagine how these scenes played out. So I did a little digging into historical meal customs, because I'm cool like that. And big thanks to Pastor Joanne Taylor and Dr. Craig Keener, who did the heavy lifting on the info this morning. So in Jewish Palestine, where Jesus lived, it was part of the Roman Empire and governed by the Roman class structure. So birth, wealth, position, citizenship, that all determined your social class. You were either a, a patrician, meaning you were eligible to be in the Senate or to, to be in the ruling class, or you were an equestrian, which is one step down, or a plebeian, the working class, who were just above the slaves. And the foundation of this class structure was patronage, which is this intricate, oh, I have all these like little words today, intricate system of benefactors and their clients. So factors, um, favors were the currency of this system. And the more favors that were owed to you as a benefactor, the higher you could rank in society. Feels very Game of Thronesy to me. So if you're, or whatever the new one is, I haven't watched the new one yet, but. And that ranking then would also affect, be affected by the number of favors you owed to others. And then woven into this system of favors owed and collected was this sense of honor and shame. So if somebody asked for you to repay your debt or the favor that you owed them and you couldn't, well, that would be super embarrassing. And that, would, that embarrassment would lower your social standing. And when social advancement was everyone's goal, it involved putting yourself forward by associating with those who were one rung above you on the social ladder, and then making sure you were owed favors by those who were one rung below you. As you can imagine, this required constant maneuvering. You always had to be counting and keeping track. Again, back to my curious wonderings, if meal sharing and status were deeply interwoven in the early Roman world, how did Jesus score an invite to this one from a Pharisee? on the Sabbath, no less. Were they friends? Was it a trap? Have we as modern read readers simply been accustomed to seeing Pharisees only as enemies that we can't imagine? Jesus dining with one as a show of friendship? So many questions to ask Jesus at my imaginary dinner party. And Jesus's words also challenged the conventional seating practices of the time. Because in ancient Mediterranean cultures, the most prestigious positions were closest to the host. Kind of like at a wedding, where you've got the head table, and then you've got the family table, and then if you're like in the outer, outer reaches, you like barely scored an invite. <laughs> and they would have these banquets, although let me just say, we had a lot of fun in the outer reaches of, <laughs> of wedding banquets. Such banquets often would have three or four couches all arranged around the center of the room. And these couches didn't have backs, so they're like, you know, big beanbaggy pillow things. And three or four people would be reclining on each one. And so you'd kind of lay on your left elbow and you'd eat with your right. I gotta tell you, that just feels so awkward. Like, <laughs> awkward. And they'd be facing the center of the room and their feet would kind of be pointing away from the table. And sources from this period are full of complaints from guests who felt dishonored because they were given less prestigious places in the banquets than they felt they deserved. And the uh, complaints are most obvious in Roman sources, but the Dead Sea Scrolls and other Jewish sources illustrate that seating people according to rank was a Jewish custom as well. In fact, the practice of seeking honor had been around for a long time. 
Do not stand in the place of the great, proverb warns, for it is better to be told, come on up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Chapter 25, 6 and 7. Jewish sages had long urged humility, but people of status were often more moved by the social mores and the congratulations offered to them by others. So they're reclining at the table, and Jesus reminds them of what they know from Proverbs 25, like we mentioned above. And etiquette-wise, I mean, I feel like it kind of makes some sense. Better to be raised up than to be told to move to an outer table, right? Better to be called up from the table adjacent to the popular girls than to receive that withering stare and icy instruction from them to please move down. The lunch table politics of middle school girls in the early 90s was a real hellscape, let me tell you. But Jesus isn't just giving a lesson on manners or etiquette, as much as I like to joke and think, huh, I love etiquette. But we instead find him showing and taking this very real piece that they would understand. We see him showing that God's kingdom is not based on wealth or power or earthly categories that we would associate with the reign of the king. Rather, it is tied to the image of hospitality, the heart of hospitality, which is the acknowledging of the imago dei, or the image of God, in one another, and building an ever-expansive table for God's people. But this path that Jesus invites us to, as he was inviting his listeners to, isn't one that gets us ahead in that transactional culture and trying to climb that ladder of social success. And again, this is why I am ride or die with Jesus. He takes these small and limiting confines of the world that we've structured and he liberates us from that which is not of God. Inviting us out of our isolation and loneliness into community. From our incessant need to try and measure up and earn God's favor into grace. And from our destructive plans to harm one another into forgiveness and restoration tells the folks at this dinner party, and by extension us, that we can stop keeping track of who is in and who is out. We can stop trying to measure, up, measure ourselves up against the folks at the table. We should instead, when opportunity arises, serve as the host, welcoming all to the table without reservation, even intentionally drawing closer those who are normally cast aside. And we can also, when the opportunity arises, say yes to the invitation that we're given as well. The mutuality of the table requires that we are willing to both give and receive as the Spirit moves in our midst, because it is in fact God's table. It is easier and more comfortable to have dinner with your best friends or anyone where the conversation flows smoothly. And we absolutely need to spend time with those we love and feel our truest selves with. And I would never advocate for people to put themselves in unsafe situations or traumatic situations to do that. But I think if we stay in that bubble of comfortable conversation or social safety, I think that we might miss something important in the wildness of the kingdom of God. That we are connected threads in a larger tapestry, woven together by the breath of the Holy Spirit. We are not the weaver, but we all belong in our awkward conversations, in our sometimes puffed-up bravado, in our weirdness, in our needfulness. We all want to feel like we belong. And Jesus is inviting us to make sure others feel that way as well, 
not simply the folks we're accustomed to or who can give us something in return. Beloved, the table is set for all of us. We are not having to sit at the broken down folding table that's in the living room, the kids' table, whatever you want to call it, distant from the conversation of the main room. But equality at the table requires that we act as if it's true for everyone else as well. We cannot simply super be excited that we're invited and then shut that door behind us. We all belong at God's dinner party, and our invitation in Luke 14 is for us to host the meal and throw wide those doors, intentionally inviting those who cannot bring status or wealth or any means of repayment. Because God's table wisdom is different from our typical inclinations. Reverend Chelsea Harmon puts it this way, in God's table wisdom, don't worry about how good of a seat you have right now. God's table wisdom is to give all the downcast and needful people a place at the table right now. God's table wisdom is to be generous with the life that God has invited you to live. God's table wisdom is to follow her seating chart, trusting that fellowship will occur among a whole bunch of people who are different because it's the spirit that weaves us together. And God's table wisdom is to remember that when we are hosts, we are also always God's welcome guests. So what might it look like for us to live into that, into that table wisdom in this season? What if we intentionally stop calculating our social prestige? Stop worrying about what other, people's, well, what other people think. That's a note to me, in case you were wondering. Stop worrying what other people think. What if we simply extended kindness to everyone around us, particularly those who are not often the recipients of kindness or invitation? What might our little corners of the world look like if at work or at school or the places we play sports or socialize with others? What if we took the time to notice those who are just outside of the rings of conversation and invite them into the center? Not with an agenda, other than to live into the kingdom of God in our midst. What is Jesus calling us to as we hear these words from Luke this morning? Where does this passage fit in the larger narrative of God at work among his people? Well, I love these words from Dorothy Day, which if you don't know about her, she was this fiery, radical Catholic activist who lived her life as a giant offering to God. She said this, Hospitality is simply practicing God's mercy with those around us. Practicing. I love that. Because it means we don't have to have it all together. We can just try again. We can practice it in our midst. Let's practice God's mercy in our midst. Let's find a way to extend a hand, to receive from someone else. Invite a parent to sit over with your group while you watch the kids play soccer. Go to that meeting of the neighborhood community group where you don't know anybody. Extend kindness in your digital spaces, in the way you respond and in the way you advocate for others. And give an intentional smile when you might have avoided eye contact with someone. Give freely without wondering what someone's going to do with that $10. Experience the joy of participating in God's mercy as the kingdom that is both now and not yet is realized in your midst. And so to close up and welcoming all the kids back from Kids Ministry, welcome kids. Hi, kids. 
If you remember nothing else from today <laughs> but this, you, all of you, even squirrely awesome kids that make a lot of noise, especially squirrely awesome kids that make a lot of noise, you are all welcome at God's table. You are welcome in this community of faith. And Jesus is asking us to make sure that everyone gets an invitation, a warm, authentic, accessible, inclusive invitation into the gathering that we are a part of. This is good, this is holy, and this is sometimes uncomfortable work that we've been called to. And I'm grateful that we get to do it together. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.